there's a perspective uh, to be learned, I think, if you if you just listen. And so my, the, your community gets much bigger if you if your approach to the world is inclusive, if you listen, I've, I, I can have a wonderful time and it, and it can even be a spirited conversation if we agree to just listen and respect each other. And I, I just, in this tiny little town where there's a resource bias and there is a lot of red and blue, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of different perspectives happening. Um, I, I think there's a way to galvanize a community around shared values that, and I really don't think we're that far apart. I just think it's about finding a new way to have a conversation. It's about reaching across the, the table. It's about opening up our doors and it's about just being kind and drop the judgment. to another episode of Ad Blocking with Jason Duane Smith. The world around us is, well, different. We're living in a time to test all of our boundaries and beliefs. It's not always easy. And sometimes, talking about ads is the last thing any of us want to do. Ad Blocking is a podcast, a safe space, where real people, real marketers, talk about everything but advertising stories of growing up coming out falling down and looking in underneath it all we're all just humans in today's episode i speak with a dear friend and spiritual guide aaron aaron you may know her as branded entertainment sales lead at discovery incorporated but as we discuss in this podcast she is, and has recently become so much more. Aaron and I bond over the value of listening, paving a more unified path in our world, and confronting our purpose in our work and the lives we live today. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Aaron and our vision for a more present and passionate world. And with that, let's dive in. You were at the top of my list of people to talk to because I won't make it a long, long journey, but my quick journey of Aaron, of us getting to know each other and developing our friendship, I can actually the, remember the moment in which I was in awe of you. And that was we met uh -oh. on a trip to Park City. And um, you already had my heart because you were great on the slopes and we had a blast that day. But then we ended up going out. Uh, it was like a afternoon lunch slash dinner, certainly some wine involved. <laughs> um, and when we were talking, you really started to open up about your perspective on health and wellness. And it wasn't just the standard you know, 
dietary discussion. It was much more about the psychological impact on what we put into our bodies, how that translates into how we think and how we express ourselves and also just our sanity to some degree, even though you didn't use that term. That's how I walked away from it. And I remember it because I was actually in a space where I kind of needed to hear that. Um, But I wasn't vulnerable enough to actually share with you then what I'm sharing with you now, which was on that trip, I was actually starting to discover like a slight uh, entry into like depression. And a lot of it was actually associated with, uh, you know, some work stuff, but I was also just eating poorly. And I think that was starting to also seep into my mind and I started reading about it. And then of course, you know, your husband, which we'll probably talk about, he's deep into that space. And then that just unlocked the whole bunch. You know, we did the camp together, Camp Elevate, and you were a huge supporter of mine and and, and working with the talent in our industry. Um, And you're also just a great mom and, you know, someone that I think brings a lot of great energy into the world. So when I went on this journey, I thought you would be someone that A, I can absolutely share and learn from, but also mm-hmm. others can do the same. So uh, so again, thanks for yeah. joining me. I appreciate it. I, I'm happy to. And listen, I, I didn't know that. I actually barely remember that conversation. And I didn't, although I'm pretty intuitive, I didn't pick up on, on that aspect of your psyche or where you were at. But I love hearing you say it out loud because I think that I, I have, when we get into this, but I, I know plenty of people who struggle silently and I think that's a killer. And I think that it's really important. And, and there's been a ton of awareness around this and education around this, but um, mental health, depression. I mean, there are so many, even the autoimmune. I mean, there are so many health related issues, um, physical and mental that people are struggling with on a daily basis that you would just never know because they do keep to themselves because they do struggle silently. And I think that that is actually really, really part of the problem. And I, so I love hearing you say it out loud because I think so many people um, feel better when they know they're not alone. And I think also when you can express and commit feelings into words that you put out there into the world, it helps you process, right? I mean, that's my experience. So um, yeah, I think silence is a killer. So I think that's great. I love, I mean, I'm glad I touched you. I wish I would have known more. I would have probably invited you to open up a bit, (laughs) uncomfortably so, but I would have, you know, I like it when I, I love for people to feel safe enough to be able to share their silence. I think that's important. Well, I like to start our conversations with uh, a bit of a journey on how you came to sort of be the person that you are today. And it's a broad question intentionally, because I like to ask it that way, because I like for the people I talk to, to reflect on how they see themselves and how they see their values. And as you think about that, I love to kind of hear about your upbringing and, and maybe things that have sort of influenced the way that you are and the energy that you bring into your space today. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is not, this is, I wish I had a perfect little synopsis for you, but, um, 
It's a really interesting question. And, it, and I did not get a chance to go through your, you know, the framework of how you wanted this conversation to go, but um, whether this is a cursory question, um, this is a, I have a very lengthy answer. I'll try to truncate and make it relevant. But um, in short, I have six parents. So that will tell you a lot. Um, the good news is we are all connected. We are all um, caring and loving and supportive of one another. Um, my role as a child was to be the fulcrum, to be the connector, to make sure that when the groups were not operating cohesively or supportive, um, I wanted very much to create harmony. So that's, that's just sort of who I am. Um, to give a little color and dimension, I was born in Oahu in a pink hospital. It was a military hospital called Tripler. I was delivered by a colonel, a badass woman in a uniform hmm. and badass because she actually saved my life, which is one perspective. I was delivered. I was blue and I was unconscious for three hours, hmm. as I'm told. And the cord was around my neck three times. So um, not something I remember, although I have a little baby scar in the back of my neck as a memento. But I do believe, you know, and there's, there's science around this now, and I'm sure there are very articulate people who could talk about the neuroscience and the experience of folks prenatally. But what I would, what I would say is that I was probably like conditioned to, to persevere. Right. It was like it, from a metaphorical standpoint, you know, if you were to, to whatever your point of view is, I would say I came into this world with a with a reference point that I could I could do anything. I could kind of tackle anything. Um, and that's a gift. My mother. Was very happy during her pregnancy. She walked on the beach and was in love, um, but that faded quickly. And she and my biological father divorced when I was, I think, two. And she moved to Boulder, Colorado, which is where I was raised, which is a big part of kind of who I am. Um, she was, she divorced and remarried. And unfortunately, that marriage was a mess. Um, the, the, the good news and the sort of the, the, the happy ending is that I have a really good relationship with my mother, but she was a very, very unhappy person mm -hmm. and had a terrible temper. And I was the focus of that anger. And the good sort of, again, sort of, if I back up and sort of reference point who I am and, and my point of view in the world is, good news is I did not identify with the aggressor. I knew that I was not the cause of her anger, largely because I did everything in my power to ensure that I was not the cause, like straight A student, the legal tablet of chores I did, I did them in advance times two. I mean, I was a good kid. Um, but I also could just look at her and, and I compartmentalize and identify that her, that she was her own person with her own struggles. And at a very young age, I knew I wasn't the cause of, of her anger. Um, but loved her unconditionally and wanted to help. Um, and so it's really interesting. And they, she went on to have my sister, Ryan, who I'm very close with and was raised with. Um, and my, and I currently am living with my other sister, Morgan, from my father, my biological father's side. 
my mom went on to remarry and is in a really good place and is a wonderful grandmother. Um, but a lot of people, you know, if I really get into the grid of my story, often say to me, how are you, how are you still connected and close with these people? Or your mother in particular, when you went through such a tough time and, you know, it's just part of who I am. I believe I saw in, in her, her, her own story, her own journey. And I believed in, in her growing and being a better person. And I've always believed in the journey. You know, everyone, I learned obviously as, as a young child that one of my important lessons was that parents are real people too. Mm. Um, I learned that she wanted us to look a very certain way. We were, I was born in a upper middle-class privileged white community with, with amazing opportunities. Um, but behind the scenes, my family, my mother was a mess. Um, and I would have traded all of it just for happiness. Mm. Mm. Um, but what, so I learned, you know, parents are real people. I learned that, you know, the journey is long. I, as a child, I learned that what you see isn't always what you got. Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, but I also learned that I was going to get through it, you know, as a child that I was going to be fine. I knew I had a vision of what I wanted to be. And sadly, unlike most little girls, I didn't want to be like my mom, Mm. but I had Mm. like a bigger vision. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be someone that like, yes, was loving and caring and all the things my mother wasn't, but I also wanted at the time. And I, and I say this, she's alive and I want to be respectful because she's a wonderful human being, but she went through a really tough time. I, I just knew that I wanted to, to do something. I didn't even know what I just knew inside. I had this huge energy and fire and I just wanted to be something do something given away that I, that I, I didn't even, I couldn't even measure. I couldn't even define. I just knew it. I believe in something bigger. And so I reference this sort of part of my, who I am, how I came to the world, because I think it was just part of it is innate and sort of who we are. But I also believe so much and, and connected to, a handful of really important things. One, I really love nature. I was so connected, like Boulder, Colorado. It was this wonderfully beautiful hippie little town. I got to grow up in a, you know an unbelievably privileged life of skiing and likes of Vale and Aspen, but they were not the Vale and Aspen you know now. These were little you know picnic benches with red and white tablecloths and guys with banjos and girls the bottom of the mountain, not free skiing. I mean, I just ate it up and I loved mm. being outside. And I really, like, I thought the trees could speak to me. You know, I just really, really relished being in, in nature. And I grew up, um, I actually grew up in almost competing in everything because that was sort of how our family was oriented to the world. I played piano. I had to compete. I played, I swam, I played tennis. I did everything. 
I skied competitively. It's the one thing that I actually said, you know what? I love skiing so much. I don't want to compete in it. I actually just want to go ski. And mm. it's the one thing I, it's still my favorite thing to do in the whole world. And so what I learned and what I was probably the, one of the slowest lessons, but the most important was to stop, you know, trying to please my mother and to stop, stop trying to be whatever this perf- sort of image of perfect was that was sort of ingrained and to just start to, to be me and do the things that really felt good to me. Um, and probably wasn't until I was a mother, which was late. I was a shocker, late bloomer. Um, until I really was able to fully embrace that perfection isn't the goal, Mm. that it's about Mm. being open and being truthful about who you are with yourself and others being, you know, cause my favorite people are not perfect. And my favorite people are full of color, full of failure, full of laughter and humility and grace and just always growing. Those are my favorite people. And so I think what I learned was and continue to learn is and be I was just I'm so inspired by that and that I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a person that could just draw on my life. It's so interesting to me how many sort of parts of my youth and sort of the philosophies that I believe in are have come full circle in one of the most challenging chapters we've had as a human race, right? Is that it's about everyone's story, respecting our community, um, respecting each other, showing kindness and being a good neighbor. It's all of those things. And then it's also, I guess for me, the validation of being a good neighbor, the validation of being a beacon to my children, the validation of being um, a welcoming and progressive person in my relationships, the validation to me, I guess if I'm reflecting on this moment that we live in now, the validation for me has actually been this constant reflection of how my children behave watching them and seeing them and listening to them you know i'll i'll tell you so these chats are always the worst for me i always have to like control my emotions no listen i i'm right there with you (laughs) but i'll tell you parenthood is an emotional job (laughs) you know because as i heard you talk about your story and I want to continue as well, hearing you reflect on growing up with your mom. And I'm sure there are so many other mini series of that part, right? But the sort of the full feature film of mom right. and, and Aaron, it made me really think about when I was a young person. And I talked to my mom about this. So if and when she listens to this podcast, she's been a faithful subscriber. She'll (laughs) reflect on it. And and I think she'll appreciate it is that, you know, my mom did a great job. She worked her butt off to raise us, Aaron. And Mm -hmm. I have two sisters, uh, a sister that's three years younger than me and another that's 10 years younger than me. 
And I think my mom did an amazing job. However, I think that my mom worked so hard against judgment Mm. that she created this shield of armor that made it very difficult for people to interact with her on a personal level because she, I think she developed a very severe sense of self-doubt, but she would build so many walls around it that it could all almost appear as if she was, um, you know, overconfident, maybe difficult Mm -hmm. to, to manage and, 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 and people respect that about her, but that, was something that was passed on to me early in my, Mm -hmm. you know, childhood and even early adulthood. And I was having this conversation with my sister. Um, We both have two young children and we were talking about our kids and I asked her, Hey, how are you treating yourself emotionally? How are you sort of balancing your self care these days? And we both reflected on the fact that we've had to kind of, almost seek counseling to come out of this like self-doubt, I guess, you know? Yeah. And and I say the self-doubt because I think when people think self-doubt, Aaron, they kind of imagine someone moping around, you know? But usually it's the person that's in the room that's just like beating their chest and yeah. you overcompensate. You you, you know 100%, what I'm saying? A hundred percent. Oh yeah. I mean, listen, I think first of all, everyone, it, it, a hundred out of a hundred people would show up and say, I doubt myself all the time. No one's a hundred percent certain of who they are or their decisions in life. I mean, I, I think if you're at all introspective, if you're all thoughtful, there are, there are always 20 ways to skin a cat. I hate that reference, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But my point of view is, is that the confidence comes from life experience. Confidence comes from knowing yourself and knowing that you're going to make a mistake. Life experience is making mistakes and learning and growing. That's what confidence comes from that. So we start out in a world full of doubt and question. We might be strident when we're young and think we know it all, but deep down, if you peel back the layer on any five, 10, 20 year old, they're all going to say, shit, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and most adults, you know, listen, ask me a, to- on a, a variety of topics and I'll say, God, I don't know what I'm doing, doing the best I can. <laughs> you know, I'm asking for feedback and advice and looking around and trying to follow my instinct and also make good choices and, you know, whatever the, the case may be. But I think self-doubt is it the, tr- the, the, I think the important thing is, and we touched on it earlier is, is not pretending that we don't have it is not being silent about it. It's not overcompensating with false sense of confidence. It's just saying, here's where I'm at right now. Here, I'm growing. I have no idea what I'm doing about this. I think this is the right way to go, but gosh, maybe I'll seek a different perspective and I'll go a different route. Life is not binary. Mm, No, no. It's, um, if you use, which I'm not the best at them, but life's analogy is a wheel of spokes, you know, and they work together. Each of them have their own purpose and intention, but there's many of them. And I brought up that story because I wanted to build on your journey. And as I asked this question, 
you know, reflect on it and respond to it in a way that feels appropriate to you. But when I think about my childhood, I can actually remember very specific moments in which it became clear to me that I needed to sort of put these learned behaviors from my mm-hmm. home aside yeah, and then embrace some new unknown territory that, that wasn't built in me yet. I, mm-hmm. I didn't learn it. It wasn't part of my world, but, but yeah. I, I can, like, I can remember if he ever listens to this, which he won't, but a lot of people that <laughs> know I had, I had a very good friend, this guy, Steve Gray, and I don't need to go into that story, but I lost him as a friend. And as I grew, I started to realize that a lot of that was because of some behaviors that I, I learned as a young person. And it took those types of things for me to realize I have to embrace a new way of being and, and go on that journey to A, be a better person for myself, B, be a better person to the people around me. And then C, if I ever want to bring other people into this world, if God allows, I have to be prepared for that as well. So it's a bit of a a question for you as well as it sounds as if you went on this sort of evolutionary journey of capturing and appreciating what you learned and experienced as a young person, Mm -hmm. but then you awoke to something new. And I guess I just wanted to understand that sort of transfer from the legacy of what you grew up with into this sort of progress that you're still on. We're all on this journey. It's still going, but I just wanted to know if you reflected on moments or behaviors or something in your life that kind of shifted that mindset. I think I I kind of touched on it before, but I, I think it's worth revisiting a bit and elaborating on. So part of my survival mechanism in this very kind of, um, performance oriented, upbringing that I had, um, where we were supposed to look and act a certain way, um, was I compartmentalized, right? And I, I walked the walk, it was reaction formation. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. Um, and as much as I was in touch with my, and I, and I was a spiritual person, I was raised, my mother was raised Catholic. My fathers were raised without much religion, but had Jewish heritage and some tradition. So I was basically raised without a religion. My religion was nature. (laughs) Um, And I was very connected to that. And I felt very in tune with myself, but my behaviors didn't reflect who I was on the inside. My behaviors were to be sort of look the part that I was supposed to, you know, that was prescribed to me. And that, that, I think that is what ultimately was, there was such an incongruence with who I wanted to be, who I felt I was on the inside, when I was alone, skiing, whatever, running, doing things I love to do. Um, And even with my friends, I was just not, I wasn't as open about who I was. I wasn't as fluid. And so I realized, I, I think that ultimately what happened for me was doing, you get a lot of, um, credit in the world for checking all the boxes. Mm, Um, I love that. But I, I, I didn't, I wasn't fulfilled. Right. I could do, I was good at fill in the blank, but did it make me feel good? Did I get, what was I, who was I doing it for? Why was I doing it? So I think what happened 
and it just took time and also probably some just sadness, right? I ended up being feeling disconnected from my own self. I ended up feeling disintegrated from my own self. And I realized probably in my late twenties and I, I, you know, so many things I did, I did because it was just who I was. Like I, I ran off to New York city, um, out of school because I was afraid of it and I wanted to figure it out and I never wanted to be afraid of anything. And I loved it. Um, and I worked hard and I did all the things we do when we're young and ambitious and I continue to be, you know, just by nature, hardworking, but I was doing what I thought I should do. Also, there was sort of someone else was authoring my life, right? I wasn't really stopping and reflecting on, is this going to make me happy? You know, what is instinctually, you know, what does my heart say? What is my you know, so where am I, where am I going to feel most fulfilled and enriched? Where do I want my life to go? Who do I want to be? And I just stopped asking that question. Um, and I, and I had to start asking it again because I was, I was, again, I, I didn't feel connected to people and I love people and I didn't feel connected to my life. And it just was, I wanted to be authentic. I wanted to be me. So I think that my evolution and my shift wasn't something that just clicked overnight. It was just a gradual coming of age for me that took a long time to really fully realize that, you know, I, I wanted to be the same person on the inside that I was on the outside. Um, and most, you know, for me, it was a, and if I look back, the shift has been as major for others, it would probably be people that really know me. It was more, it's probably more subtle. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's not like I was a drastically different person. It's just that I wasn't emotionally invested in my choices. I was doing what I thought I should do. And so I am 49 and I am doing what I want to do. I am, mm. mm. I am open about who I am. I I don't have all the answers, but I, I know who I am. I want my children to be as authentic with, you know, I, I think that's a big part. I, I also want to model for my children, right? I want them to embrace who they are. Mm. I want them to be, you know, happy, successful, healthy people. But I think that starts with being themselves. There's one of them. Is there any water? You know where the water is, my friend. Um, <laughs> And so I, I, I also want them to be resilient, right? I, I believe in, you can get into parenting, but you know, I don't, I don't, as, as I've learned, you know, I, and what I believe in is not paving, paving, paving the path for the child. It's, it's preparing the child for the path, you know, and, but I think that just goes to me that what I believe in is that goes back to them knowing who they are, being proud of who they are and standing up, you know, facing the music, um, taking responsibility and, and for who they are and, and just being, you know, humble, committed little humans, you know, but I, so I think being a mom was the thing that probably was the biggest catalyst for me. Mm. Um, it was the most inspiring because it was less about me. It was like a, a greater calling, right? It was, it's about being a role model. Um, but I also shifted, you know, just incrementally over time, because I really 
listen, I, I spent more time thinking as a 20 year old or 30 year old, how did I get so far away from knowing myself as a mm. child? I felt like I was so clear about who I was. How did I get so far away from that? Um, and so I think I spent time really consciously trying to reconnect with myself and figure out how, how to reintegrate the inside with the outside me. How do you balance or yeah, balance is the word. Mm. And this is going to be a a time sensitive inquiry about (laughs) the time that we live in, you know, Mm. and, and, and I mentioned to you that part of this discussion is reflective on this moment. And I, when I say that, I want to be clear in my language. Yeah. When I say this moment, I say that while things that we're experiencing in our culture are not new, many of the things that we're seeing, whether it be reference to things as simple yet complex as racism, Mm -hmm. things as simple yet complex as economic disparity, you know, things as, you know, simple and complex as, you know, political divisiveness, you know, things as simple and complex as, you know, our health and wellness. These are topics Mm -hmm. that we've always had to explore. However, I think my own personal opinion, I think there's something about this time of isolation that's magnifying our attention to these particular elements of our space. And I think it's also magnifying the impact of these elements in our space. And so with that in mind, I wanted to understand how do you sort of balance this sort of self-reckoning with everything that we're seeing every day? Because we are adults, we're responsible adults, and we have a role in our society. But then we also have our children. And you said something that I completely agree with. And I'm happy you said it. As a parent, I don't believe in uh, bringing my children a manifesto on Here's how you're supposed to think, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, my biggest nightmare, my biggest nightmare is those guys being on a podcast in 18 years talking about, <laughs> I believe these things because my dad said, that's what I'm supposed to do. No, that's yeah. no, 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 no. That's yeah. not how this goes. I will, I'll give you some tools. You know, you can hear my perspective, you know, yeah. I'll open the doors, but I, you know, you should be developing your own thoughts, your own perspective. So it's a question for you of like how in this particular moment, I'm curious about how this moment has maybe impacted your parenting approach, relationships and dialogues with the young people that are in your home with you every day. I mean, I have tried and obviously on an age appropriate level, but I, I, I am fortunate enough to have a wonderfully diverse collection of friends who are involved. Um, politically and civically and just in their communities. And that has given me an opportunity to involve my children in conversation and in activities that allow them to, yes, form their own opinion, but participate. So not to be passive. And I've always, you know, I also, I just come from a place of no judgment, right? I mean, I, I have my, my family tree, require it's a bottle of wine and it's a billboard size, you know, poster board. I come from just so much 
dysfunction and craziness, but ultimately I believe in all of those human beings. My best friend, Eric Mickens, when I was in first grade, my parents couldn't figure out who the guy was because they never described him as having brown skin, mm. you know, and I, just just who I am. But I realized that's not who the that's not the world that we live in. Um, my grandmother had polio. People stared at her. I wheeled around in a you know, and so judgment for me is is a four letter word. I just don't like it. If if we if the world were up to children, judgment would not be what our society is plagued with. You know, we'd be plagued with like shitty food and a lot of television or something, but, but judgment would not exist, right? These kids are fearless ambassadors for each other. You know, they learn to judge. They learn to be unkind because probably going back to what we said earlier, because they start to become uncomfortable with who they are. Mm -hmm. They have self doubt and they project that onto other people. Sadly, part of our, human condition, right? Bring others down if we don't feel good about ourselves. But they don't start out that way. They start out wide-eyed, eager to help, curious lovers of humanity. And so I love connecting them to experiences like that. I love getting them involved. I love, you know, they want... Uh, for a long time, I didn't want them to watch the television, but I turn it on occasionally because I wanted them to know, like, Look what's happening. And they were incensed. What's like, how is this happening? Yeah. Why is this happening? So it allowed us to have conversation. And I think it's really, you know, I don't, again, I don't shield them from it. We have really honest conversations. Um, we have a wonderfully diverse collection of friends um, that all are special and unique in their own way. Right. And that is just, how we frame the world. So granted, my kids are young, you know, 10, eight, and five. Um, yeah. So there's on some level, there's a level of innocence that I want to nurture, but I'm also, I really believe in just having a real dialogue with them and answering questions with them um, and just demonstrating, you know, no judgment and be a good neighbor and help, help your neighbor. Mm-hmm whoever they are. Right. Mm-hmm. And contribute. Yep. I think it's a huge, I like the last word you use contribute, you know, yeah. contribute and thinking about the intention behind your contribution, mm-hmm. which is actually a very interesting build on the dialogue we're having, which is exploration of values, perspective, when it's not always easy. Mm. And if I may, you're on a bit of a personal journey. Now, (laughs) the last time we spoke, you know, that this podcast is not about work, but because our relationship did start in part of the industry. Yeah. When we met last, we were both doing completely different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, you have made some dramatic, I hope that's a fair thing yeah, to say, yeah, but if yeah. like, yeah, Very. is that fair? Yeah. Some dramatic shifts. And I, I, I raised this topic because you said something earlier that I wanted to interrupt you, but you were doing, you I was on my thing. I was doing my thing. <laughs> no, no, no. And I didn't want to miss anything, but you said 
I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. And I want to come back to yeah. that because that's today. Yeah. And I wanted to hear about when you say that mm -hmm. I'm doing what I want to do. Yeah. I want to understand what that means for you today. So, um, yeah. So the, you know, the pandemic continues to be, you know, tragic and grips us all in different ways. Um, and, and yet I find that it's also given us a lot. Um, there are silver linings for me all over. And I, I kind of, I think that doing what I want to do um, got more clearly defined because of the pandemic. So what I mean by that is very specifically, you know, March 13th, didn't go to the office, working from home. Mm. Kids are home, right? I mean, we all went through it. Any working parent, you know, anyone just suddenly no, not, no more working in an office had to figure out how do I do this? Um, how do I, as a mom, how do I get my kids to all get on Zoom? What the hell is Schoology? You know, all that stuff. And the and and then how do I continue to find uninterrupted hours of productivity? Um, and so finding my own rhythm, uh, you know, that took everyone had to adjust and adapt, right? Um, but I did enjoy being home because I, and, and I worked, I worked, I had, first of all, I've had a job since I think I was five and I had worked in an office since I was 20 something since the early nineties and every job I had, whether it travel or no travel, it was always an office culture. So working from home was never really an option. Um, I really enjoyed working from home. I really enjoyed seeing my kids. And now listen, they drove me bananas up a wall, just like every other parent, <laughs> I go away. Um, it, but I really enjoyed it. Um, what I, though, what I, I had done the same real thing in the, in the media industry since 94. And it was so good to me, you know, that industry for a working mom who didn't want to miss a recital. Who you know? I I had flexibility. It was a lucrative career for women. You know, it was it was wonderful. But it was it intrinsically valuable to me? No. Mm. Um, it was it mentally stimulating or challenging? Not necessarily. Um, but it was a wonderful job, and it scratched a lot of itches I had. You know, the, I I was a math geek. You know, I, there's certain things I like the crafting deals. I love the creative side of it, but ultimately uh, the inertia of it and the relationships of it is really what kept me there while working from home amid this pandemic. I happen to live in a neighborhood in LA with an enormous inordinate number of doctors. I have, you know, four to one <laughs> doctor friends, just an enormous number of folks who are in the health care industry. And I felt helpless while they were being inundated and, and this happened early. And basically I ended up um, asking a friend who's a doctor, what can I do? How can I help? I can't, I don't have the infrastructure to deliver millions of PPE supplies that you need. What, what can I do? I don't like sitting on the sidelines and watching. I want to do something. 
And I learned that um, these doctors were, and it goes back funny to your previous thing, very original comment. It go, it, they all said, we need food. And I remember thinking like, what are you talking about? They needed food because they're working double shifts. They're grabbing, they're not ordering lunch from La Scala. They're grabbing what they can from a vending machine, which is crap. And they, they're exhausted. And God forbid they get run down and sick or worse COVID. So I said, well, shit, I can fix that. So we delivered dinner to Kaiser. Mm. Then I reached out to, you know, this unbelievable network of mom friends that I have that I will forever treasure. and said, we help me operationalize this. And long story short, in the midnight hour, thankfully I don't require a lot of sleep. I was able to, with a collection of wonderful, mighty, amazing women, and actually a man, a dad, um, we ended up launching a GoFundMe charitable campaign and we raised about a million and a half dollars. And we fed- we fed 17 hospitals and three fire stations from March till August. Wow. Um, what also, and, and buoyed about 40 restaurants during a very critical time. Sadly, that effort, you know, continues to be, you know, something that we could, I could continue that campaign, sadly, for a very long time. But what I what I was able to do with the help of generous people who are like-minded, who wanted to do something for their community um, was so fulfilling. It was so valuable to be able to do something, to be able to contribute. I got my kids involved. My friends got their kids involved. It was about, you know, we're not going to Starbucks. I can take five bucks out of my piggy bank. I want to help give lunch to somebody on the front line, right? It was about buoying your community, about showing up in whatever way you could. And it was, you know, it's really, it's about showing up and it's about contributing. It's about philanthropy, but it's really, it's just about, again, it goes back to being a good neighbor, right? It's like doing that was so important for me because it was a catalyst to make me realize I had a, I have energy to give to something else and B this was so much more exciting and rewarding for me to be able to put energy into something to, to touch people's lives who are on, literally on the front line. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And just do something for somebody else, right. Not make money for some big company, but do something for people who are, of service to our entire community. Right. So I just, I think that that was really an, you know, important because I realized how I hadn't really, I haven't led a life of service. Mm. You know, I haven't um, tapped into things that really can, you know, I haven't deployed my energy and resources the way that I'd really like to. And so I think that was a a moment. and, you know, long hours and everyone said, how can you, how are you doing this, your job and this? And I, I, you know, you, when you have the energy, you find, you find time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I referenced that because it's sort of like lit a fire for me and, um, and yet COVID was, you know, incredibly scary and continues to be incredibly scary in Los Angeles. And basically we decided to take a road trip, um, this summer, like everybody. And I wanted, you know, and I mentioned like, listen, we had a, as far as quarantine goes, we, we had a really good thing going when the kids were able to swim and hike and we spent time together that we, we never really got to spend that amount of time together. So I look at it again at that as a silver lining, but our road trip allowed us to go to parts of the country. My kids hadn't seen, we went to Colorado to my roots, um, to see family in, in the mountains. We came to Montana and where my sister Morgan has a, a home though was not here. And this, as we were in Montana, we were watching LA fall apart. Hmm. And I looked at my husband and I talked with my sister and we all started to say, you know, there's ever an opportunity. The time is now we could, we don't have to be, we're all working remotely. We can all work from anywhere. We can actually, why don't we put our kids in school here? Why don't we try this down for size? Why don't we get out of LA? Um, which isn't like a novel thought, by the way, my husband and I had always sort of imagined reinventing ourselves or relocating or pivoting, but it's a lot easier to do when easier to say hard to do, but circumstantially being in Montana, working remotely, um, it suddenly became viable. Um, and I started just to fantasize in a very real way about how, you know, at 49, I don't have, you know, I, I believe life is a long time, but I don't have a lot of time to reinvent myself. Hmm. And how do I want to do that? If, if I want to, this could be an amazing opportunity. One, I wanted this to be a, a chapter where we look back and we didn't feel decimated by COVID and wanted us to, as a family to look back and say, we embraced this challenge. We pivoted, we took it, we took the opportunity to, to create an adventure out of it. Um, we bonded as a family and this was an, and by the way, incredibly fortunate that we have a family to, that has a home here, right? I mean, it would have been a lot harder. So we allowed all of those stars to align. Um, my company sent out an email as most media companies were in the midst of being gutted and offered anyone who'd been with the company 10 or more years, a voluntary separation plan. And I just, to me, that was, the, these were literal stars aligning that were impossible to ignore. And I just mm -hmm. thought, I'm going to go for it. We're going to do this. And it gives, I have a little float. Um, my kids are going to probably struggle because they have an enormous amount of friends as do we back at home in LA, but they're going to make friends. They're going to adapt. They're going to get to do things that we don't get to do. We're going to be in quarantine. God knows how long, but in Montana, they're able to go to school. They're tested on a regular basis. The numbers are low. They're skiing. They're doing things that we wouldn't get to do at, at home. And it takes me all the way back to my roots. It takes me all the way back to connecting with nature, being with my family and doing things that are, that are so important. It's um, <clears throat> I love the story. And there are two words that 
arose during your dialogue that I can really identify with. You know, the first was really about service and what, I mean, what an amazing contribution to your community and also use of resources. I think that's one thing that we don't do as often as we can is look around us and say, okay, here is the fortune I have. This is my privilege. How can I leverage that and use that to actually be Mm -hmm. resourceful? And I thought that that was an extremely important part and something that I've really had to reflect on, you know, and then I think, you know, the other part to me is about reflection, you know, reflection, reflecting on the finite nature of life. It's like, this, this isn't forever, you know? And I think when I looked at COVID this year has been an interesting one for me, Aaron, I started to really graduate into a space of asking myself, how can I sustain this? Yeah. How, how can I sustain whatever my mindset is beyond the sort of instant news that we're experiencing today? And so yeah. it's maybe a parallel question to you as, and that's why I asked about defining what you're doing now and why it feels like it's something you mm-hmm. want. I guess the yeah. part two to that is how have you thought about the sustainability you know, because yeah. I know you are a very purpose-driven person. You don't make choices without intention. Like it, for <laughs> listeners, Aaron is playing the game of life as if you would play an amazing game of chess. I always see you thinking four, five, six, seven steps ahead. Yeah. And I'm asking as a friend, it doesn't even yeah. need to be a technical response. Like I have yeah. really been trying to manage with I have to sustain this compassion. I have to sustain this understanding. I have to sustain this interest in bringing people together because mm-hmm. it can't fade away. We can't look at this as a moment. And then we're back right. to when people say return to normal. I don't want to return to normal, Aaron. I, I want to go back to the future. I want to imagine the right. new world, you know? Right. So how have you thought about the sustainability and, and, and you know, what it looks like when we start to see the light, you know? Well, All right, so Montana, very red state. There are Trump signs all over this town. Um, And that would be, you know, it's it's my kids, you know, rubberneck when we drive by a a house with a Trump flag, because it's not what you see in the likes of Brentwood, California. No. Um, No. And so it's very shocking. But what I will also say is, Listen, there are going to be, again, I, 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 my kind of whole orientation to the world is no judgment. And I can, and I am famous for standing at the party and talking to the quote biggest asshole all night long. And that is by definition from my, from friends or whoever, why did you talk to the asshole all night? And it's usually, and my answer is always the same. Well, A, I get, evidence, you know, exhibit A with us, right? I get very involved with the conversation, but I also believe fundamentally everyone is a good human being. It might take me longer to find that kernel of goodness, but I believe in that. And (laughs) so it might take me 20 minutes or two hours, but I will find that. And I'll, my, I will figure out how someone ticks and how they operate. And I will be able to then understand and respect their 
point of view. Um, I have done that more times than not in this small little town because it is full of folks who don't think like me or weren't raised like me um, on the outset. But what I have found is particularly during COVID, this is a little town where the numbers are low. So you're able to intermix a bit responsibly, however. And this is a very, very respectful town when it comes to COVID masked up and um, unified in that effort. But um, two things, one, there are the Montana natives, right? Care a lot about their small town and their value system. Then there are folks like us who've come in. So there's a whole other conflict of, you know, this, this town went from 1500 to, um, or sorry, 3000, I think is the population in Big Sky, this little town where I am. Hmm. I think it was, it grew to 15,000 during this crazy boom of the summertime. Ooh. It's back down a bit, but a lot of folks like us in from New York, Chicago, um, Austin, LA, coming here for, to escape a very high density community where they're shut in. Um, but so, a lot, but all different perspectives and all different value systems. But what ultimately I, uh, three neighbors, all three of our neighbors um, are, are, or two of the three were Trump supporters. Mm. I like all of them. They're mm. wonderful, wonderful people. I think it's about listening. And I think it's about, I think what change is um, about is about listening. And it's about, you know, what it's, it's not, and, and we've gotten so far away from that, right? Our whole political system is designed to not do that, right? It's mm. become so partisan. And this is not a political conversation by design, I know. But ultimately, I, I also, you know, going back to no judgment, I also believe in cooperation and community that we've got, we've gotten so far away from that. I grew up, you know, my mom and dad were registered Republicans, mm. but that was, it was about a set of values that don't resemble anything that the party stands for today. The parties have gotten so far apart that the word compromise is like, is a bad word, right? That there's no such thing as cooperation and compromise. I just, by design, fundamentally disagree with that notion. I could care less what party you subscribe to. And what I found is Trump or no Trump, red or blue. I don't care. I don't care what color. I care about connecting and listening and identifying who you are, what your story is. And ultimately, I believe that that kind of understanding and compassion for each other is what brokers change. Mm. And I think that that, that kind of reckoning, right, is about not saying, not, not talking about it, not avoiding the topic, because a lot of folks are like, just, we just don't talk politics. Because I actually think that it is about talking about it. It is about, but it's about genuinely listening and hearing why someone, why, what is their interest? And the, the folks who work on the mountain here, there's also a huge resource bias in this town, right? There's the folks who can go ski and there's the kids who would love to ski but can't. Of course, I'm interested in fundraising to get, get those kids on the mountain. Um, but I I talk to kids who I because my 
brother-in-law is Bodie Miller. He's got a bunch of kids who came here from New Hampshire and worked on the mountain who are also interestingly supporters of Trump. And I listened for a good hour and a half to two hours the other night to a great kid who explained to me that the reasons behind why they support Trump. And it's not about race and it's not about um, Trump even. It's about they believed what they wanted to believe, which was that he was going to bring more jobs back and he was going to take care of the everyman who's just doing the best he can. And that, you know, there's a perspective uh, to be learned, I think, if you if you just listen. And so my, the, your community gets much bigger if you if your approach to the world is inclusive, if you listen, I've, I, I can have a wonderful time and it, and it can even be a spirited conversation if we agree to just listen and respect each other. And I, I just, in this tiny little town where there's a resource bias and there is a lot of red and blue, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of different perspectives happening. Um, I, I think there's a way to galvanize a community around shared values that, and I really don't think we're that far apart. I just think it's about finding a new way to have a conversation. It's about reaching across the, the table. It's about opening up our doors and it's about just being kind and drop the judgment.